chapter nine of the wooden horse by hugh walpole this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine i'm worse to-day said sir jeremy looking at harry and i'll be off under a month he seemed rather pathetic the brave look had gone from his eyes and his face and hands were more shrivelled than ever he gave the impression of cowering in bed as though wishing to avoid a blow harry was with him continually now and the old man was never happy if his son was not there he rambled at times and fancied himself back in his youth again harry had found his father's room a refuge from the family and he sat hour after hour watching the old man asleep thinking of his own succession and puzzling over the hopeless tangle that seemed to surround him how to get out of it he had no longer any thought of turning his back he had gone too far for that and they would think it cowardice but things couldn't remain as they were what would come out of it he had as robin had said changed the effect of the explosion had been to reveal in him qualities whose very existence he had formerly never expected he even found strangely enough a kind of joy in the affair it was like playing a game he had made he felt the right move and was in the stronger position in earlier days he had never been able to quarrel with any one whenever such a thing had happened he had been the first to make overtures he hated the idea of an enemy his happiness depended on his friends and sometimes now when he saw his own people's hostility he was near surrender but the memory of his sister's words had held him firm and now he was beginning to feel in tune with the situation he watched robin furtively at times and wondered how he was taking it all sometimes he fancied that he caught glances that pointed to robin's own desire to see how he was taking it once they had passed on the stairs and for a moment they had both paused as though they would speak it had been all harry could do to restrain himself from flinging his arms on to his son's shoulders and shaking him for a fool and then forcing him into surrender but he had held himself back and they had passed on without a word after all what children they all were that's what it came to children playing a game that they did not understand i wish it would end said sir jeremy i'm getting damn sick of it why can't he take you out straight away and be done with it do you know harry my boy i think i'm frightened it's lying here thinking of it i never had much imagination it isn't a trojan habit but it grows on one i fancy well what's the use of talking and he sank back into his pillows again the room was dark save for the leaping light of the fire it was almost time to dress for dinner but harry sat there forgetting time and place in the unchanging question how would it all work out by gad it's tom hello old man i was just thinking of you coming round to oryx to-night for a game supper at Gadlini's. but it's damned cold i don't know where that sun's got to been wandering up and down the street all day and i can't find the place i've forgotten the number can't remember whether it was twenty-three or thirty-three and i keep getting into that passage there i am again bring a light old man it's so dark what's that who's there can't you answer darn you come out you he sat up in bed quivering all over harry put his hand on his arm it's all right father he said no one's here only myself ah i was dreaming he answered lying down again let's have some light not that electric glare candles 
harry was sitting in the corner by the bed away from the fire he was about to rise and move the candles into a clump on the mantelpiece when there was a tap on the door and someone came in it was robin grandfather are you awake aunt claire told me to look in on my way up to dress and see if you wanted anything the firelight was on his face he looked very young as he stood there by the bed his face was flushed in the light of the fire harry's heart beat furiously but he made no movement and said no word robin bent over the bed to catch his grandfather's answer and he saw his father oh i beg your pardon he stammered i i didn't know you he waited for a moment as though he were going to say something or expected his father to speak and then he turned and left the room let's have the candles said sir jeremy as though he had not noticed the interruption and harry lit them the old man sank off to sleep again and harry fell back into his own gloomy thoughts once more they were always meeting like that and on each occasion there was need for the same severe self-control he had to remind himself continually of their treatment of him of robin's coldness and reserve at times he cursed himself for a fool and then again it seemed the only way out of the labyrinth his love for his son had changed his character he had no longer that desire for equality of which he had made at first so much no the two generations could never see in line he must not expect that but he thought of robin as a boy as a boy who had made blunders and would make others again and would at last turn to his father as the only person who could help him he had fancied once or twice that he had already begun to turn well he would be there if robin wanted him he had decided to speak to mary about it her clear common-sense point of view seemed to drive like the sun through the mists of his obscurity she always saw straight through things never round them and her practical mind arrived at a quicker solution than was possible for his rather romantic quixotic sentiment you are too fond of discerning pleasant motives she had once said to him i dare say they are all right but it takes such a time to see them he had not seen her since the outbreak and he was rather anxious as to her opinion but the main thing was to be with her since last sunday he had been he confessed to himself absurd he had behaved more in the manner of a boy of nineteen than a middle-aged widower of forty-five he had been suddenly afraid of the bethels going to tea had seemed such an obvious advance on his part that he had shrunk from it and he had even avoided bethel lest that gentleman should imagine that he was on the edge of a proposal for his daughter's hand he thought that all the world must know of it and he blushed like a girl at the thought of its being laid bare for pendragon to laugh and jibe it it was so precious so wonderful that he kept it like a rich piece of jewellery deep in a secret drawer over which he watched delightedly almost humorously secure in the delicious knowledge that he alone had the key he wandered out at night like a foolish schoolboy to watch the lamp in her room that dull circle of golden light against the blind seemed to draw him with it into the intimacy and security of her room on one of his solitary afternoon walks he suddenly came upon her he had gone as he often did over the moor to the four stones he chose that place partly because of the stones themselves and partly because of the wonderful view it seemed to him that the whole heart of cornwall 
its mystery its eternal sameness its rejection of everything that was modern and ephemeral the pathos of old deserted altars and past gods searching for their old-time worshippers was centred there the stones themselves stood on the hill against the sky gaunt grey menacing a landmark for all the countryside the moor ran here into a valley between two lines of hill a cup bounded on three sides by the hills and on the fourth by the sea in the spring it flamed a bowl of fire with the gorse now it stood grim and naked to all the winds blue in the distant hills a deep red to the right where the plough had been brown and grey on the moor itself running down to the sea it was full of deserted things as is ever the way with the true cornwall on the hill were the stones sharp against the skyline lower down in a bend of the valley stood the ruins of a mine the shaft and chimney desolately solitary looking like the pillars of some ancient temple that had been fashioned by uncouth worshippers in the valley itself stood the stones of what was once a chapel built perhaps for the men of the desolate mine inhabited now by rabbits and birds its windows spaces where the winds that swept the moor could play their eternal restless games on a day of clouds there was no colour on the moor but when the sun was out great bands of light swept its surface playing on the stones and changing them to marble striking colour from the mine and filling the chapel with gold but the sun did not reach that valley on many days when the rest of the world was alight it was as if it respected the loneliness of its monuments and the pathos of them harry sat on the side of the hill below the stones and watched the sea at times a mist came and hid it on sunny days when the sky was intensely blue there hung a dazzling haze like a golden veil and he could only tell that the sea was there by the sudden gleam of tiny white horses flashing for a moment on the mirror of blue and shining through the haze sometimes a gull swerved through the air above his head as though a wave had lost its bounds and for sheer joy of the beautiful day had flung itself tossing and wheeling into the air but to-day was a day of wind and rapidly sailing clouds and myriads of white horses curved and tossed and vanished over the shifting colours of the sea there were wonderful shadows of dark blue and purple and green of such depth that they seemed unfathomable suddenly he saw mary coming towards him a scarf green like the green of the sea was tied round her hat and under her chin and floated behind her her dress was blown against her body and she walked as though she loved the battling with the wind her face was flushed with the struggle and she had come up to him before she saw that he was there now that's luck she said laughing as she sat down beside him i've been wanting to see you ever since yesterday afternoon but you seem to have hidden yourself it doesn't sound a very long time does it but i've something to tell you rather important what he looked at her and suddenly laughed what a splendid place for us to meet its solitude is almost unreal as to solitude she said calmly pointing down the valley there's tracy corridor it will be all over the club to-night he's been watching us for some time a long thin youth his head turned in their direction had passed down the footpath towards the ruined chapel and was rapidly vanishing in the direction of pendragon 
well let them said harry shrugging his shoulders you don't mind do you not a bit she answered lightly they've discussed the bethel family so frequently and with such vigour that a little more or less makes no difference whatsoever pendragon taboo we don't dishonour the sea by such a discussion in its sacred presence what do you want to tell me he asked watching delightedly the colour of her face the stray curls that the wind dragged from discipline and played games with the curve of her wrist as her hand lay idly on her lap oh it'll keep she said quickly never mind just yet tell me about yourself what's happened how did you know that anything had he asked oh one can tell she answered besides i felt sure that it would things couldn't go on just as they were she paused a moment and then added seriously i hope you don't mind my asking it seems a little impertinent but that was part of the compact wasn't it why of course he said because you know she went on it's really rather absurd i'm only twenty-six and you're oh i don't know how old anyhow an elderly widower with a grown-up son but i'm every bit as old as you are really and i'm sure i shall give you lots of good advice because you've no idea what a truly practical person i am only sometimes lately i've wondered whether you've been a little surprised at my uh, our flinging ourselves into your arms as we have done it's like father he always goes the whole way in the first minute but it isn't or at any rate it oughtn't to be like me you are he said quietly the best friend i have in the world how much that means to me i will tell you one day that's right she said gaily settling herself down with her hands folded behind her head now for the situation i'm all attention well he answered the situation is simple enough it's the next move that's puzzling me there was four days ago an explosion it was after breakfast a family council and i was in a minority of one i was accused of a good many things going down to the cove paying no attention to the miss ponsonby's and so on they attacked me as i thought unfairly and i lost control on the whole i am sure wisely i wasn't very rude but i said quite plainly that i should go my own way in the future and would be dictated to by no one at any rate they understand that and now ah now well it's as you would expect we are quite polite but hostile robin and i don't speak the new game father and son or how to cut your nearest relations with expedition and security he laughed bitterly oh i should like to shake him she cried sitting up and flinging her arms wide as though she were saluting the sea he doesn't know he doesn't understand neither himself nor any one else oh i will talk to him some day but do you know she said turning round to him it's been largely your fault from the beginning oh i know he answered if i had only seen then what i see now but how could i how could i tell but i always have been that kind of man all my days finding out things when it's too late and wanting to mend things that are hopelessly broken and then i've always been impulsive and enthusiastic about people when i meet them first i mean i like them and credit them with all the virtues and then of course there is an awakening oh you don't know he said with a little laugh how enthusiastic i was when i first came back yes i do she answered that was one of the reasons i took to you 
but it isn't right he said shaking his head i've always been like that it's been the same with my friendships i've rated them too highly i've expected everything and then cried like a child because i've been disappointed i can see now not only the folly of it but the weakness it is i suppose a mistake caring too much for other people one loses one's self-respect yes she said staring out to sea it's quite true one does the world's too hard it doesn't give one credit for fine feelings it takes a short cut and thinks one a fool but the worst of it is he went on ruefully that i never feel any older i have these enthusiasms and that romance in the same way now at forty-five just as i did at nineteen i never could bear quarrelling with any one i used to go and apologize even when it wasn't my fault so that you see the present situation is difficult ah but you must keep your end up she broke in quickly it's the only way don't give in robin is just like that he is self-centred all shams now and when he sees that you are taken in by them just as he is himself he despises you but when he sees you laugh at them or cut them down then he respects you i'm the only person i think that knows him really here the others haven't grasped him at all my father grows worse every day harry went on as though pursuing his own train of thought he can't last much longer and when he goes i shall miss him terribly we have understood each other during this fortnight as we never did all those early years sometimes i funk it utterly following him with all of them against me why no she cried it's splendid you are in power they can do nothing and robin will come round when he sees how you face it out why i expect that he's coming already i've faced things out here all these years and you dare to say that you can't stand a few months of it what have you faced he asked tell me exactly i want to know all about you you've never told me very much and it's only fair that i should know yes she said gravely it is well you shall at least a part of it a woman always keeps a little back she said looking at him with a smile as soon as she ceases to be a puzzle she ceases to interest she turned and watched the sea then after a moment's pause she said what do you want to know i can only give you bits of things when for instance i ran away from my nurse aged five was picked up by an apple-woman with a green umbrella who introduced me to three old ladies with black pipes and moustaches i was found in a coal-cellar then we lived in bloomsbury a little house looking out on a little green park all in miniature it seems on looking back i don't think that i was a very good child but they didn't look after me very much mother was always out and father in business fancy she said laughing father in business we were happy then i think all of us then came the terrible time when father ran away ah yes harry said he told me poor mother it was quite dreadful i was only eight then and i didn't understand but she sat up all night waiting for him she was persuaded that he was killed and she was very ill you see he had never left any word as to where he was and then he suddenly turned up again and ate an enormous breakfast as though nothing had happened i don't think he realized a bit that she had worried 
it was so like him the naked selfishness of it and the utter unresponsibility as of a child then i went to school in bloomsbury somewhere it was a miss pinker and she was interested in me poor thing her school failed afterwards i don't know quite why but she never could manage and i don't think parents ever paid her i had great ideas of myself then i thought that i would be great an actress or a novelist but i got rid of all that soon enough i was happy we had friends and luxuries were rare enough to make them valuable then well, we came down here this sea this town this moor oh how i hate them her hands were clenched and her face was white it isn't fair they have taken everything from me leisure brain friends i have had to slave ever since i came here to make both ends meet ah you never knew that did you but father has never done a stroke of work since he's been here and mother has never been the same since that night when he ran away so i've had it all and it has been scrape 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 all the time you don't know the tyranny of butter and eggs and vegetables the perpetual struggle to turn twice two into five the unending worry about keeping up appearances although for us it mattered precious little people never came to see if appearances were kept they called at first i think they meant to be kind but father was sometimes rude and never seemed to know whether he had met a person before or no then he was idle they thought and they disliked him for that we gave some little parties but they failed miserably and at last people always refused and really it was rather a good thing because we hadn't got the money i suppose i'm a bad manager at any rate whatever it is things have been getting worse and worse and one day soon there'll be an explosion and that will be the end we're up to our eyes in debt i try to talk to father about it but he waves it away with his hand they have neither of them the least idea of money you see father doesn't need very much himself except for buying books he had ten pounds last week housekeeping money to be given to me he saw an edition of something that he wanted and the money was gone we've been living on cabbages ever since that's the kind of thing that's always happening i wanted to talk to him about things this morning but he said that he had an important engagement now he's out on the moor somewhere flying his kite she was leaning forward her chin on her hand staring out to sea it takes the beans out of life doesn't it she said laughing you must think me rather a poor thing for complaining like this only it does some good sometimes to get rid of it and really at times i'm frightened when i think of the end the disgrace if we are proclaimed bankrupts it will kill mother father of course will soon get over it i say i'm so sorry harry scarcely knew what to say she was not asking for sympathy he saw precisely her position that she was too proud to ask for his help but that she must speak no sympathy was not what she wanted he suddenly hated bethel the selfishness of it the hopeless egotism it was harry decided the fools and not the villains who spoilt life i want you to do me a favor he said i want you to promise me that before the end actually comes if it is going to come you will ask me to help you i won't offer to do anything now i will stand aside until you want me but you won't be proud if it comes to the worst will you 
do you promise you see he added trying to laugh lightly we are chums yes she answered quietly i promise here's my hand on it as he took her hand in his it was all he could do to hold himself back a great wave of passion seized him his body trembled from head to foot and he grew very white he was crying i love you i love you i love you but he kept the words from his lips he would not speak yet thank you was all that he said and he stood up to hide his agitation for a little they did not speak they both felt that in that moment they had touched on things that were too sacred for speech he seemed so strong so splendid in her eyes as he stood there facing the sea that she was suddenly afraid let us go back she said they turned down the crooked path towards the ruined chapel what was the news that you had for me he asked suddenly oh, why of course she answered i meant to have told you before then more gravely it's about robin about robin yes i don't know really whether i ought to tell you because after all it's only chatter and mother never gets stories right she manages to twist them into the most amazing shapes no tell me he insisted well there's a person whom mother knows mrs feverel odious to my mind but mother sees something of her a lady no by no means a gloomy forbidding person who would like to get a footing here if she could and is discontented because people won't know her you see she added we can only know the people that other people don't know this mrs feverel has a daughter rather a pretty girl about eighteen i should think she might be rather nice i am a little sorry for her there isn't a father well these people have in some way entangled robin i don't quite know the right side of it but mother was having tea with mrs feverel yesterday afternoon and that good woman hinted a great deal at the power she now had over your family for some time she was mysterious but at last she unburdened herself apparently master robin had been making advances to the girl in the summer and now he wants to back out of it he had i gather written letters and it was to these that mrs feverel was referring harry drew a long breath i'm damned he said oh of course i don't know she went on you see it may have been garbled mrs feverel is i should think just the person to hint suspicions for which there's no ground at all only it won't do if she's going to whisper to every one in pendragon i thought you ought to be warned harry was thinking hard the young fool he said but it's just what i've been wanting this is just where i can come in i knew something has been worrying him lately i could see it i believe he's been in two minds as to telling me only he's been too proud but of course he will have to tell someone a youngster like that is no match for a girl and her mother of the class these people seem to be he will confide in his aunt he stopped and burst into uncontrollable laughter oh the the humour of it don't you see they'll be terrified it will threaten the honour of the house they will all go running round to get the letters back that girl will have a good time and that of course is just where i come in i don't see said mary why it's just what i've been watching for harry trojan arrives harry trojan is no good harry trojan is despised but suddenly he holds the key to the situation presto the family on their knees 
mary looked at him in astonishment it was she thought unlike him to exult like this over the misfortunes of his sister she was a little disappointed it is really rather serious she said for your sister i mean you know what pendragon is if they once get wind of the affair there will be a great deal of talk ah yes he said gravely you mustn't think me a brute for laughing like that but i'm thinking of robin if you knew how i cared for the boy what this means why it brings him to my feet if i carry the thing out properly then quickly you don't think they've got back the letters already they haven't had time unless they've gone to-day besides the girl's not likely to give them up easily but of course i don't really know if that's how the case lies mother's account was very confused only i am certain that mrs feverel thinks she has a pull somewhere and she said something about letters oh i will go at once harry said walking quickly i can never be grateful enough to you where do they live ten seaview terrace she answered a little dingy street past the church and breadwater place it faces the sea and the girl what is she like i've only seen her about twice i should say tall thin dark rather wonderful eyes in a very pale face dresses rather well in an aesthetic kind of way he said very little more and she did not interrupt his thoughts she was surprised to find that she was a little jealous of robin the interest in her own affairs had been very sweet to her the remembrance of it now sent the blood to her cheeks but this news seemed to have driven his thought for her entirely out of his head suddenly at the bend of the little lane leading down to the town they came upon her father flying a huge blue kite the kite soared above his head he watched it his body bent back his arms straining at the cord he saw them and pulled it in hello trojan how are you you ought to do this it's the most splendid fun you've no idea this wind is glorious i shan't be home till dark mary and they left him laughing like a boy she gave him further directions as to the house and they parted she felt a little lonely as she watched him hurrying down the street he seemed to have forgotten her completely mary bethel you're a selfish pig she said as she climbed the stairs to her room of course he cares more about his son why not but nevertheless she sighed and then went down to make tea for her mother who was tired and on the verge of tears end of chapter nine